welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Communications and Advocacy with NCBI. Um, and today I have the pleasure of having a, a chat with David Redmond, who is um, a, a service user based in Cork uh, and an individual who's absolutely passionate about radio. So I look forward to um, hearing more from you. But firstly, welcome, David, and thanks for taking the time to have a chat with us. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, I've been eyeing up getting on this podcast for quite a while now, June. So I, I finally, I finally made it. And <laughs> well, certainly appreciate your your time and enthusiasm for it. It's great. I know, so, um, just as well, just to, to kick off for the listeners, as usual, just uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well, you hit on it there just a second ago that, yeah, I'm David Redmond. I am uh, visually impaired. I'm from Cork. And uh, yeah, I am a total radio broadcasting nerd, I guess. I studied radio broadcasting in college. Um, so I'm just after finishing that now in May. Um, so I did the exams on that, was delighted to do well in those. So yeah, I'm currently, I guess, on the job hunting front now. But um, yeah, I suppose my main passion will be broadcasting and all things media, really. But yeah. And how did your passion for radio come about, do you think? It's an interesting one. I don't exactly recall any point when, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing where, uh, you know, all of a sudden I discovered radio. But I, I certainly remember certain points, you know, where, you know, I would listen to different podcasts, even that that, that kind of came a gateway into it. And I remember hearing goodness it must have been when I was about 11 or 12 I remember hearing uh, Christmas FM for the first time and I was like the idea of doing a radio station around a specific theme and in that case it was Christmas but I found that concept really cool at the time right. and just I suppose it wasn't one thing but a collection of little things like that over years and doing I did a radio summer camp in UCC here in Cork and you know, there was a load of different events, but ultimately when it came to, you know, filling out a CAO form and when it came to, you know, looking at QQI courses and all these different things that you do kind of from fifth and sixth year on, you know, radio was the only real option that I considered at that point, I guess. And it's interesting, people often underestimate the um, interest and the power of radio now because there's so many other mediums that people get their news or entertainment from and yet in Ireland we're still big into radio particularly local and, and regional radio the listenerships are, are still very significant. Absolutely it's uh, the numbers are really really good I was looking at you know some of the numbers you know just recently we didn't have new numbers for a while during the pandemic True. Um, because the basically the way listenership is calculated in Ireland it's primarily done through surveys so unfortunately, obviously, through, during the pandemic, we weren't able to conduct surveys within the radio industry. So we didn't get a new set of numbers. And there was a lot of questions in the industry. You know, is the listenership going to hold through the pandemic? But what we saw is that even though there was a little drop kind of in the mornings, because people are listening more now in the afternoon, it seems, than the mornings because people are working from home as opposed to commuting. True. The listenership has certainly remained stable, um, which is really good. As you say, you know, we've had, you know, with all, you know, Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, with all these services being so readily available, 
there's still a great connection, I think it is, that, you know, local people are on local radio. I mean, the chances are, if you go on to Netflix or Disney+, Plus, you're not going to hear or see someone from down the road, you know? Yeah, that's, exactly. Uh, that's a lot more possible with radio, which I think is why radio has such a connection for yeah, people. Yeah, far more it's, relatable. It's local stories. Yeah, it's, it's that relatability that makes it so appealing. That's um, it. Yeah, but if you look internationally, Ireland is still quite an, an outlier in relation to our loyalty to radio. Um, Very much so. Yeah, it, it says a lot about us, actually. And um, I, I, I personally am far more of a radio fan than like a Spotify fan. And yeah, yeah. you just feel that kind of connection with the the presenter or the um, the story that they're talking about, uh, and it, it speaks volumes. I think. It does. And I mean, it's very easy to, you know, you know, with Spotify, everything is curated. But I guess when you're listening to something like radio, it might not be curated in the same way. But because it's local, there's a shared relatability to it that you don't have with something, you know, on Spotify. Like everybody's Spotify is that slight bit different. And even True. though it might be that more personal, sometimes we don't want everything to be 100% personalised. Sometimes we just want something to be more general. And I think that's where radio really fills a great uh, gap in the market, I guess. You know, that it, it, and it seems that that is the way, certainly in Ireland, um, which is really good to see. And do you think having a, a vision impairment has made radio more appealing to you? Or is that just irrelevant? You know, it's a really interesting one. In my head, it never played a major part in it. However, I do see within, say, the visually impaired community, radio does seem to be quite a big thing that, you know, relative to the general population, if I can call them that, you know, radio seems to be a much bigger thing for visually impaired or blind people. So in my own head, while it, it's certainly not a conscious thing that, you know, it, did it play a role? I can't be 100% sure if it did or it didn't, um, because it seems like it seems the prevalence of radio within the visually impaired community. It's a bit it's a bit more than a coincidence, I guess. So it's a, it's a tough one to say, you know, but it's a really interesting one to look at because it is certainly a very popular medium within the visually impaired community, I guess, because in some respects it's audio, you know, and we can enjoy it in a way that maybe we can't enjoy a lot of television or Netflix, for example. Correct. Yeah, I suppose those programmes would need to be essentially audio described to have the same level of enjoyment as um your sighted peers absolutely and i mean we are getting better you know at audio description in ireland at the moment our audio description has come on leaps and bounds in the last year um which is fantastic but i think you know even with audio description there's something still about radio where you know it's more you know, it is still more accessible to us because no matter how well described a TV show is, it's still primarily a visual medium that's being adapted. 
whereas radio is fundamentally an audible medium, if that makes sense. So yeah, it, 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 it's a really interesting one. I think, you know, audio description is amazing and we've come a really long way over the last year. But I think radio will always have its place, I think. And tell us, what would your ideal job in the radio industry be then? Um, I've thought about this a lot, you know, over the last few years. I, I don't know, would I be someone who would be particularly suited to being, I say, the, the public facing kind of presenter as such. I, I think I'm I think I'm capable of it and I've done it before, but I just don't know is that necessarily the area that I'd like to go down. I think for me, I'd much rather be someone who would work behind the scenes, be it in research or in, you know, even the business end of, you know, media, because I love, you know, like advertising, sales costs and things like that, just nerdy stuff that, you know, a lot of people don't consider, you know. But um, at this point, I guess I would, you know, I'll do anything in radio because I just love, you know, or anything in media, really, because I do love the media industry with a passion. So I guess, yeah, I'm willing to do anything if anybody's willing to pay me. That's understandable. And I suppose you're, you're starting off your career. So hopefully you'll be able to dip your toe into many areas of it before That's you it. can kind of find your perfect niche. Um, and Tell us a little bit about um, your Radioland. Okay, so Radioland, Radioland was a little project that I started back in September and October of 2020. So what Radioland is, is basically I wanted a place to share that passion for the radio industry. And there had been for many years different news sites that would provide information to the radio industry as you know what stations were doing and how things were going and stuff like that but a lot of them had kind of started to slack and started to focus on international markets as opposed to the Irish market and I thought well that's something I could actually do and gain a, a few skills that I could create a website to actually provide a decent competition to those other sites and provide some service to the radio industry while also getting my name out there a little bit. So that's how Radioland originally started. But then it's kind of grown. It's got kind of a small but loyal foothold within the industry, um, which is good. And, And I it's one of these things where, you know, It takes a few hours a week to maintain, you know, to write the stories and to do all the things that need doing. But it's something I love because I and it keeps me in the loop as well, that I constantly know what's going on, you know, which I think is healthy. If you want to work in an industry, you need to know what's going on in that industry and you need to know, you know, who owns who and what is working in this business area and all that. So I guess keeping me in the loop, Radioland has done a lot for that, I guess. And I suppose, to be fair, it is quite a a niche section of the media um, industry. Very much so. so. As you already say, you're trying to develop your your skills to um, ensure that you you get offered the jobs in a a very highly competitive market, no doubt. 
Absolutely. And I mean, it is, as you say, a very niche area. And I never, you know, I, I never looked at Radioland in its own right as a moneymaker, for example. Like, yeah. I always looked at it as a gateway into the industry itself. Um, I, I have tried to branch out to, you know, other projects that might have a little bit more appeal in in the wider sense. Um, for example, I've started, you know, writing a Twitter account called Irish Media Beat, which is basically for TV news and things like that. But it doesn't focus on the industry as such. It focuses more on, you know, content, you know, for the general public, like who's going to be competing in Dancing with the Stars or, you know, who's on yeah. the Late Late Show this week. You know, it's a lot more general content as opposed to the business stuff. Right. Um so I, I've kind of I've got my eggs in a few baskets to kind of, you know, see what works and what doesn't. And, you know, if something doesn't work, that's fine. You know, I don't uh, as I say, I don't put all my eggs in one basket. Some things will work, some things won't. And that's fine. I suppose that's just um, life in general, isn't it? As, as you it try is. to navigate your way through starting your career and the different skills you have to adapt and learn. Um, some will be more relevant for future jobs, others won't be. Um, and, and that's you're you're literally beginning that now at this stage. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like every project that I'm doing, whether it's Radio Land or Media Beat or other projects I do, I do Irish Soundscape recording as well at irishsoundscapes.org. Like all of these projects, I'm learning something different, be it, you know, in editing nature sounds or whether it's writing for a general audience or whether it's you know writing for a niche audience web development graphical design even i mean where would you get a visually impaired person doing graphic design i mean all of these things you know you learn a lot of different skills from each project that you're doing and even if that project in its own right fails you still have those skills to take forward to something else which I think is, you know, always, you know, it's handy things. So I don't look at any of the projects that I do as individual things. I look at them as a bigger picture that ultimately, if I'm not, you know, earning money from them, you know, they're still, you know, adding a line to the CV, you know, which I think is good to do and keep learning from different things, I guess. And as I said at the outset, um, you've obviously been connected with, with NCBI for a while um, and yeah. give us a, a little flavour of the different services you've you've availed of over the years. Well I suppose I've been visually impaired since birth so I've always had a kind of a link to the NCBI ever since that point so I suppose it would have started you know way back when with you know doing you know different technology training with brian manning here in cork and you know would i would have done summer camps with ncbi way back in the day and then even you know projects you know ncbi would have introduced me to things that aren't necessarily part of the ncbi fold i guess so things like capabilities for example um but more recently I have kind of been more assisting with different bits and pieces. So I facilitate a local advocacy network here in Cork, 
which again has, you know, been an area, you know, to both keep me entertained through the pandemic and also develop new skills and things like that. So, you know, different bits and pieces like that, that I'm kind of, you know, learning different things as time goes on, you know, through NCBI as well. And just, you know, in the last kind of few weeks, you know, the NCBI have given me assistance, you know, with employment related stuff. For example, I had to do an exam um, which required a scribe and the NCBI helped organize that. So just little bits and pieces, you know, throughout the years. So it's it's something that you mightn't rely on the organization day in, day out. And I think that's healthy because you need a, exactly. a level of independence. Yes. But I, I think it's great to have people that are there if you needed them for a specific issue and that I guess is how I've worked with NCBI over the years I guess. And as you rightly say the service should be there to dip in and out of when your um, circumstances or needs change Absolutely, as opposed to yeah. um, it being a, a continuous crutch for the want of a better word. Yeah um, then that makes because, sense. Yeah I, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, and have you enjoyed the the work with the the advocacy network? I know you've been quite in, involved in that, um, particularly around different ca- campaigns locally. Absolutely. Like I'm not somebody who sees myself necessarily as a very strong advocate. I I much prefer to kind of assist people who are advocating, as opposed to advocating myself. But what I've learned, you know, through the advocacy network is a lot of things in, you know, techniques in chairing meetings, for example, you know, like little things like that. that again, you'll take forward into the workplace, you know, um, so little things like that. And, and you get to meet some fantastic people through it as well, you know, who both work for the NCBI as an organization. And also, you know, other service users, because like. I'm lucky that in a sense, like most of my family would have a visual impairment, so I'm in a unique position where, you know, everybody who's around me for the most part gets visual impairment, but it's still great to get different perspectives on different things. Um, you know, or what are things like in West Cork or what are things like in Kerry? Because those are experiences that I don't have necessarily. Um, so, yeah, getting to know people and, you know, getting extra skills, you know, even just as a social outlet in some respects through the pandemic. That, I think, is where, you know, doing pieces for the advocacy network has really been beneficial to me, I guess. Which is great um, because uh, obviously that kind of um, friendship and, and peer support, we all need it throughout the pandemic. Oh, it's um, massive. And just get to, to know new people, but also understanding how powerful it is for when you come together to raise an issue, um, which when resolved benefits the entire community. Absolutely. You know, a simple thing like one of the ones, one of the campaigns that we worked on in uh, 2021 was just around traffic lights, you know, and a simple thing, you know, like even if you're just getting one traffic light made that bit more accessible, you know, it, it's little wins like that, but it benefits so many people, you know. Um, yeah, so definitely while, don't underestimate those things. 
absolutely. It's, like, I'm so not going to be a politician overnight, you know, but it's one of these things where if you can make little changes here or there, you, you can make a surprising impact, you know. Very much so. Very much so. And it's, it's really just about putting it onto people's radar when they would never have put it, been conscious of it before. Um, that, that to me has been a, a key thing throughout 2021, um, linking in with different either politicians or councillors or stakeholders or just even different community groups and just raising these issues and the main people saying, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. Um, and it, it just kind of highlights the, the huge public awareness element that uh, NCBI and, and others need to work with us to, to highlight these issues. And, uh, you know, you hit on public awareness there. And I think that's a massive part of it, because I, I don't think, you know, for the most part, I think very if we look at inaccessibility as an issue, I think oftentimes it's it's as a result of, you know, ignorance more than it is anything intentional. Correct. So I, I think that, you know, like you can look at things and you can go, oh, we're going to go down the lawsuit route or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. Where I think sometimes you'll get a, an almost more effective response just by, I guess, just having a conversation, a civilized conversation. Because nobody wants to make things less accessible intentionally. I think oftentimes you'll find that people genuinely want to try their best and just don't know how, you know. So I think yeah. while, you know, there's room for all different sides of advocacy and, and such, I think, you know, just when you're having a civilized discussion or just providing information that can make an incredible difference, you know, because, you know, people genuinely do want to help, which I think is great to see, you know. Exactly. And as you rightly say, it's, it's not necessarily out of malice. It's just lack of awareness. Um, and Absolutely. Yet, when informed, they can then make a conscious decision to be more inclusive or accessible or whatever. Um, and that increased understanding leads to greater empathy, uh, which is, is is what the end goal is, really. Um, tell us, David, about our the new project that we're hoping to, to work collaborate on in 2022, the NCBI Live. Yeah, so NCBI Live um, is a really interesting project. M myself and uh, another gentleman from Waterford, Patrick Hennessy, proposed this concept going back a few months ago that NCBI would create an audio stream of all of NCBI's audio content, whether it's this, the NCBI podcast, whether it's the NCBI labs technology events or the advocacy talks or all of NCBI's audio content, that will be, we would create a stream that would be, that people will be able to listen to at any time of the day or night that suited them. So they could listen via smart speaker on their phone or, you know, however they wanted to listen. Yes. Um, now, we, a lot of the details, you know, are still being worked out. This is a project that is really in its early phases, because the worst thing you can do with a project like this is just launch it overnight and, you know, you haven't worked out the details. So we're, we're taking our time with it. It's moving slowly but surely and we'll eventually hope to launch this in 2021 you know 
And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's an exciting little project and hopefully it'll just provide NCBI service users with a little bit more choice as to how they want to access our content. Because look, the reality is that not everybody is comfortable going to a podcast app or a YouTube channel or the website, for example. So we want to provide as many possible ways for people to listen to NCBI's valuable content. Um, And NCBI is just an extension of that. So we'll see how it goes. It'll take time and we're we're trying to get it right. We're, you know, we're working on accessibility of certain systems and things like that at the moment. So, yeah, we're taking our time. But yeah, NCBI Live is something that is hopefully on the way in 2021, along with a lot of other stuff. So. True, fingers go. crossed. Um, and uh, just for listeners, David means 2022. Oh, 2022. I'm stuck in 2021. What, what's happening to me? <laughs> That's OK, don't worry. Um, so fingers crossed, it will um, go live and people will be able to enjoy the, uh, as you rightly say, accessing the uh, content that is available um, in different formats at the minute, but uh, accessing it through um, the NCBI Live channel as well. And I suppose, lastly, David, this is a question that I ask um, all my interviewees. What would be the one piece of advice that you would give to another person recently diagnosed with a sight loss condition? Yeah, this is a tough one because, I mean, I'm someone who's always had a visual impairment. So, I mean, I've lost a little bit of sight along the way as well, Um, but I've never gone from, you know, having full sight to having part sight that's never been an experience I've had okay but I think the advice that I would give is you know while it's initially going to be difficult embrace as many elements of it as you can you know just because you know you may have you know lost something and it is a loss yes um you know there are solutions to a lot of the things that, you know, you can you can still do so much, whether it's, you know, working with a cane or a guide dog or learning to use a screen reader or things like that. You know, there is still, you know, you can have a great quality of life with a visual impairment. So, you know, don't be afraid of trying, you know, different things. Don't look at this as. I've lost my sight. This is the end. What am I going to do? Uh, try and look at, you know, different solutions to different things. And that will take time and it'll take time to accept everything as well. But I think getting yourself on that path and talking to people, I think, is probably the healthiest thing that you can do, at least initially. And I think that will be my one bit of advice to people. Wise words, indeed. Definitely. Um, and for now, I would just like to to thank David for uh, sharing with us his his passion for radio and his very philosophical and positive outlook on life. Uh, I genuinely wish you a, a very long and happy career in different aspects of, of the media. Thank um, you very much, June. It was a pleasure talking to you. Great. Thank you. And just as always, if any listeners are interested in accessing any of NCBI services, please feel free to call us on 1-800-911-250. Many thanks and thanks again, David.